Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. I, I want you to pray with me before we do anything else. I just want you to pray with me this morning this prayer. Lord, Lord, enable your servants to, to speak your word with great boldness. Thank you, Jesus. We are going to keep that prayer in front of us. I brought it up a few weeks ago, said, pray with me for 2019. And I want to keep it in front of us as a reminder all through the year. Enable us, Lord. Enable us. Last week, I just believe the Lord was blessing. He is enabling. He's doing great things. You heard uh, from Pastor Julie that we've, we've heard some great, great response from last uh, Sunday. God's blessings, the blessings of the Lord, the blessings of faithfulness. We, we talked about giving last week, and it's not necessarily the easiest message to stand up and bring before a group of people, talked about tithing, proportional giving, all that goes into the work of the kingdom of God. We shared some of our own personal testimonies, Julie and I, uh, but as she mentioned, we've heard from a good number of you, and I just want to encourage you, continue to send those stories. You can just email them right to her. She will, uh, she will manage any that come in. Uh, we do want to hear from you uh, because God you know, is blessing, and we can be so encouraged when we hear how he blesses someone else. Uh, he's faithful, and when we're faithful, God will bless the faithfulness of his people in all things. When we're faithful with a sincere heart, when we're faithful to come to Jesus with our needs, when we're faithful to go to him to learn his word and just get into his word, when we're faithful to follow and live the word of God, when we're faithful to be good stewards of our gifts and our talents and everything that we have when we're faithful to support the work of the kingdom of God, the work of the church, in giving of it all, God blesses it. He does. And I want to encourage you this morning with just a couple of really quick anecdotes that we did receive of the so many that we've heard. But first, this about a man named Joe Lance. Now, if you knew Joe, he was a very contented man. He that, that he was blessed was totally obvious when you saw him. He always had a, a great smile. He always had a word of encouragement. Was he rich? Not according to the world's standards. But by God's standards, I'd say Joe Lance was rich. Now, was his life always perfect? No. He and his wife, Helen, they buried uh, an adult son. Yet, there was contentment. Joe would always encourage me. He knew all the pastors at this church, from the founding pastor, the second, the third, to me. He was faithful for 77 years to this church, supported the music ministry. He helped young people, coached them, uh, developing their skills in sports. 
he was faithful. And at his uh, memorial service, that word came up more than once. So I received a letter from Joe Lance's wife, Helen, and I want to share just some of it with you uh, because I thought it was really encouraging. I learned something. Dear pastors, since your message last Sunday was concerning giving, I thought you might be interested in my husband Joe's story. He had been a tither and giver since I met him. At the age of 90 in August 2016, he had his giving checks made out in advance. He became quite ill, and I did not get to go to church to put the envelope in the offering plate. Joe went to heaven on August 6, 2016. When we arrived at church to make funeral arrangements, the mail was arriving, and there was Joe's envelope in the mail. How is that for faithful? Love, Helen Lance. I, I had no idea that happened uh, when Helen came in that day, and it just touched my heart about faithfulness, that uh, God blesses it, I will just say. God blesses it. He blessed Joe with a contentment and a spirit of encouragement, a desire to help others in all areas of life. God uh, pours out his blessing. I believe he does uh, bless us when we're faithful. I have another quick note and story to share. Uh, I received this letter right here, and uh, I want to I'll just make it concise and then read a bit from it. About 15 years ago, this bag of coins here, this, this, these right here, about 15 years ago, they were given to a young man to go on a mission trip. He was a senior in high school at the time. Well, uh, his father said, I'm not going to give him these 100 coins. Uh, they're, they're $1 coins, by the way, so it's, uh, it was $100. He said, yeah, here, son, here's the cash. Put these in a drawer and sat there until last year. And the man decided, well, I'm just going to give these back to the person that gave them to me. And he did that. Then they sat in a drawer for another year until this week. So this note reads, during the sermon last Sunday, the Lord spoke to my heart to sow these hundred coins into my own church. This is for the building fund. So we receive it gratefully. And that is what it'll be used for. And this was from a person who I know is blessed. And I was blessed in their life, blessed for their faithfulness, blessed with family that follows the Lord. And I believe those blessings will continue. Are they rich by the world's standards? No. But God meets needs. And God brings contentment. And God is blessing. And I want you to be encouraged by that. And I say thank you to all of you. Uh, dear church, God's blessings are rich. They're rich beyond the world. They're rich beyond what we can even imagine or think. We spoke last week about faithfulness and responsibility. And God blesses us when we are responsible to our faithfulness. 
And this morning, church, I want to encourage you in another area of responsibility. It's an area that Jesus calls a command. So if Jesus calls it a command, to me it's a law. A command is a law. Jesus commands this. And if Jesus commands something, I think we should take note of it. I think it's something that uh, we should highlight. It's not just a trivial saying or a a, a passing word. This will be, uh, when we see it in the word, a command of Jesus. Jesus, who was God, is God, but he gave his life for our sake. Ruler of the universe, yet he condescended to become a human being like all of us. That's amazing. And it's something we've talked of since the beginning of the year, that Jesus is the supreme ruler over the universe. His instruction is something we should take note of and never take lightly. He established the church. He established and ordained the local church. We've talked about that This is a sanctuary from the world, like an embassy in a foreign land. It's where we come in, we get filled, we get encouraged, we get lifted up, we get empowered by the Holy Spirit, we get equipped by the Word and strengthened by the Word. We share in the blessings of community, like we've heard already this morning about prayer and holding others up in prayer and bearing up their burdens and then hearing great testimonies how the Lord is impacting lives. We share in that blessing of community here at the local church. And then outside the walls of this church. We're called to live that out, to be different from the world and to show the world there is a better way. And that better way is life in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus talked to us and he taught us and he instructed us about how we should live. And he said it plainly. Sometimes he used parables, parables like the good Samaritan, which is about loving neighbor. He used other examples, and he instructed, sometimes with tenderness, sometimes very direct and blunt, Jesus taught. And he did this for the course of about three, three and a half years. And he had followers, his closest companions, his disciples, the 12 that would come to be called apostles, they didn't seem to get it. Instead of living what Jesus was teaching, it seems they were often going in a different direction. The 12, they would be at each other. The Bible documents this for us. These 12, who were to be, one would think, the best of the students. They were learning firsthand from the master day after day. They weren't in a city that Jesus just passed through. They were with him. And yet they bickered. They argued. They fought amongst themselves. And the Bible records it. I want to show you that. How these 12, it wasn't sinking in. They argued. Here's argument number one. This is from the Gospel of Mark. It's also documented in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. It's documented in Matthew, chapter 18. This is from Mark, chapter 9. I want to read to you verses 33 to 35. It's argument number one. 
of the 12. Reads this way. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? See, these disciples of Jesus, they were arguing on the way into Capernaum. Jesus asked them about it. Verse 34, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Evidently, they felt a little shame. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now here's Jesus kindly teaching his disciples. He didn't yell at them. He didn't take them to task. He just speaks to them. And listen, you guys, what are you arguing about on the road? Really? I heard you. What's all the fuss about? Why are you bickering amongst yourselves? Listen, you want to be the best? The best. Who's the greatest? You want to be first? Be last. Be the servant of all. Did they listen? Did it sink in? Church, we just need to go to the next chapter. Mark chapter 10. Argument number two. This is also documented in Matthew chapter 20. Mark 10, 35 through 37, and I'm going to pick up then in verse 41 and read through 45. It says this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want to do... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow, isn't that something? Do for me what I'm telling you. I thought he was the leader. Anyway, it goes on. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Verse 41 When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ah, second time they argued. Doesn't this just sound like human nature? Yeah, we're going to fight about something and we're not going to lay it down. We're going to keep on going. Jesus was very kind to them the first time, gave them instruction. Hey, look, if you want to be first, you have to be a servant. This time, he gives them the same instruction, but he adds a little something to it. I'm going to die for you. And I came to serve to give my life as a ransom. James and John, they started this whole thing. When you read the other Gospels, It says their mom actually was the one that greased the skids with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Hey, mom, would you go over there? Maybe you could work it out so I could be on the right hand in glory. No wonder the 10 were indignant. 
indignant. They were upset. Who do you two think you are? You get to be on the right and the left? Seriously? What have you ever done for Jesus? Can you imagine how they argued and they fought? And Jesus said, listen, I came to serve. I'm going to give my life. The first needs to be the last. Did it sink in? Let's read on. Argument number three is recorded in Luke's gospel. Now, this argument takes place of all times the last night that Jesus is going to be on the earth. At the last supper, they're at the meal and the group is in the middle of eating Jesus has passed around the bread. He's passed around the drink. And then Luke records this for us. Luke 22, verses 20 to 24. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. This is getting tiring, isn't it? Jesus, who the last time this occurred, said, I'm going to die for you. Give my life a ransom. He's pointed out now he's going to be betrayed. What do they do? Hey, let's start an argument about which one of us is the best. Who's the greatest? Seriously. Does this make any sense at all? Your leader just told you he's going to be betrayed by someone. (sighs) Let's start a fight about who's the greatest. Now, how's Jesus going to handle it this time? He gave some kind instruction first. Then he added some things to really put some weight to it. Hey, I'm going to die for you. Well, He does speak to them. He does say some things to teach them, and Luke records it. But John's gospel gives us a little more detail, and I want to read that to you, how Jesus responded. John 13, the opening of the chapter, John 13, verses 1 to 5, it summarizes it for us. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, just like Luke had recorded. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Again, Luke recorded that. I want to throw in now Luke's line. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now we continue with what John was writing. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Wow. Forget about talking. He's going to show them something. And I, in my mind's eye, I try to imagine this. What was happening in that room? What was going on with these 12 that were arguing amongst them right as their leader had said, yeah, someone's going to turn on me. I mean, will these men ever realize just how ridiculous they sound? I mean, I, I don't understand it. I got no words. What, what's Jesus thinking? He's got to be believing this or, or, or thinking the same thing. What is up with these guys? And he has no words. What does he do? Quietly. He just moves into action. These 12 are arguing amongst themselves. This is, this is a picture of the, of the earliest Christians. They're bickering amongst themselves. Jesus picked me first. I'm the greatest. Seriously? Were you on the mountain of transfiguration? I was there. I saw Jesus transfigured before my eyes. Moses showed up. Elijah showed up. And then I heard the voice of God. I know I'm the greatest. Ha! You're the greatest? I was there too. And I walked on water. Hold on a second. You sunk when you were walking on water. You're not the greatest. Can you imagine what these guys are yelling about, bickering about? Jesus. Jesus is getting the water. He's getting the water. Imagine what must have happened when he started to pour that water on the first man's feet. I can imagine silence falling over the room. I don't even know if they noticed. But boy, when he started washing the feet, you think about that first time they argued on the road to Capernaum. He says, what are you arguing about? And they didn't really want to talk about it. What are you talking about, Jesus? Nothing. They had a little shame. I wouldn't want to have been in the room. I imagine it went silent as Jesus begins to pour water on feet that have been on dirty, dusty roads that are shared by all the animals. Think about that for a second. What's Jesus washing off of these feet? These aren't feet that have shoes and socks like we have. They're feet that have been in sandals that are open to the road where the animals have been walking. I don't know, it seems, sounds kind of nasty to me. I don't know if I'd want to be you know, rubbing my hands on that. Let's say in here, you guys want a piece of bread? It's kind of it's dirty to think about. But Jesus is doing it. He's doing what was customary for the lowest servant, a slave. And I can just imagine no one's talking until Peter. Peter, of course, protested. 
He opened his mouth, don't do this, poor Peter. He doesn't get it. And Jesus said, listen, unless I do this, you got no part with me. And all the others said nothing. Did they get it? Did they catch the irony of this situation? They're fighting about who's the best, who's number one, who's the greatest, arguing and bickering, and the greatest ever in the history of the world, the greatest, the king of the universe, is washing their feet. Then Jesus spoke. Then he spoke. And Luke's gospel tells us, he said, again, the same thing he had told them before, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules should be like the one who serves. Who's greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? And he said, it is not the one who's at the table. So you guys are trying to bicker about who's the greatest. And let me tell you, it's not the one who's at the table. And he says, but I'm among you as one who serves. So the one who rightly, justly could be saying, hey, I, I should be served, is serving. John's gospel puts it this way. This is John 13, 14 to 17. It, Jesus said this, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. What, what's the sum of it all? If we were to put it all together, could we, could we boil it down to one word? Jesus did. The sum of it all, the encapsulation of this example of foot washing, he distilled it to a command. As I said earlier, Jesus gave a command. And it's something we should take note of. It's something we should mark. John 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus said this. It's the, the end of John 13, the close of this foot-washing scene. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way these men were behaving was no example to those outside the fold. It certainly wasn't attractive. It didn't show anything. Gave no reason to be part of that group. Jesus brought it down to one word, love. Everything he did was based on love, over and over, he said to these argumentative, quarrelsome uh, disciples, the greatest is the least. Be the servant. Love. Dear church, it's all about love. 
What happens among us all? It's all about love. Jesus gave us some straight talk about it. He said, I'm giving you a command, a new command, love. Love one another. Now, a command is not optional. This isn't something that is a matter of preference. I'll do it today, but not tomorrow. I'll do it with this person, but not that person. No, this is a command. It's not optional. Love. Love one another. And he said, as I have loved you. He had just given this great example, and he was going to give a further example the very next day when they nail him to a cross. He says, listen. See this example as I've loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So in this house, in his kingdom, as followers of Jesus, let's love one another. Loving one another is how others know we're disciples. This is the words of Jesus. It's not if we argue or bicker or gossip of petty differences that we don't lay down with. This person over there, oh, that guy took my parking spot this morning. Oh, I'm going to get him. These are the kinds of things that Jesus is, is referring to. That's the context of the whole foot washing scene. Backbiting, arguing, putting yourself above one another. That is the way of the world, and it's not our model. The way of the world is the superior lorded over the inferior. And in a word, that's selfishness. The divine idea, the divine notion, and the true law of Christ. If I see any law that Jesus laid down, it has to be What he says is a command. The true law of Christ is this, selfless love. And in this lesson, in the foot washing, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, dirty, nasty feet, the context of it all is this relationship, relationship. In this circle of men, the relationship was flawed. It was fractured. It was obviously dysfunctional. How much function do you have when your leader tells you, hey, I'm going down. One of you guys is going to stab me in the back. And instead of figuring out who that is or really being concerned about it, "Ah, well, let's start fighting about who's the greatest. This is dysfunction. They fought about who was number one. But Jesus showed them a better way. He showed us a better way. How can we live our relationships with the love that Jesus showed? How can we do it? How can we live this new command to love one another? Let me give you, I'll give you three three things. But first, the foundation is to focus on Jesus before we could get to, to any, uh, any ways to love one another, focus on Jesus. You know, there's mountains. There's volumes of self-help stuff out there. Books galore. 
We could fill rooms with it that tell us what we should do to improve our relationships. But without Jesus, yeah, that world, the, the world's advice, it's lacking. It's missing something. It has the wrong focus. I heard of a man who was standing outside uh, the Louvre Museum in Paris, and there were vendors there selling their versions of the Mona Lisa. And he, he stood there and looked at him and said, eh, you know, they're all different. The colors, the lines, the textures, they're all different. And then he heard someone behind him say, you got to go inside and look at the original. Right, right. That's good advice. You know, we have to look at love. We have to look at the original love, not the world's view of it, not the way the world tells us that we should love. We need to look at the original. We need to look at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we will see that he lived selfless love. And selfless means less self. I mean, it's that simple, less me. But it's that hard. Easier said than done. Less me. Yeah, that's me. You know, when a wedge comes into a relationship, especially between Christians, how can we live love? How can we live the love that Jesus showed? So a few things. We need to drop the need to win. Or to say it in another way, overcome the fear of losing. Church, we're not in this, in these relationships that we have to win. It's not a competition. The Apostle James wrote in his letter, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Oh, yeah, they do. I, I can attest to that. They do. It's all about me. If I'm in a conflict. I mean, that's, that's the, the flesh begins to rule. My desire to be right. I'm right. I believe this is the way these disciples of Jesus were feeling. I'm right. I deserve to be heard. I'm not backing down. Why should I back down? I am in the right and I will win. I will come out on top. That's the point of this, right? It's a conflict. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to win. And I believe that's our flesh. It wants to come out on top. And I think it's driven by fear. We're afraid of losing. And fear is this driver. It drives this need to win. And that is part of our culture too, to, to win all the time. And you know, look at Jesus. Look at the original love. He wasn't afraid to set aside himself, set aside his desires. Now, he could have said to these bickering guys, listen, sit down and button it up. I'm the greatest. All right, I can prove it. And he could have done a million things, right? I mean, he'd already done so many, fed thousands, stopped storms, raised the dead. What more do you guys want to see to see that I'm the greatest? could have done that. And he had every right to do that. He's the greatest in history. But instead, 
He lived the words that he was teaching them. The first should be last. When it comes to relationships and difficulties and strife and arguments and fighting, see Jesus, see how he overcame. And you can overcome that fear of losing and setting yourself aside. And when you overcome that fear, you can be a loser. Yeah, that's my advice to you, number two, be a loser. Seriously? Yes. I need to be a loser, Lord. Help me to be a loser. Lose the need to win. Lose the high-minded attitude. Lord, I need to lose the ego. I need to lose the pride. I need to lose the status. I need to lose my position if I'm using it as an advantage. Husband, wife, mom, dad, co-worker, boss, brother, sister, whatever your position, if you're using that to gain advantage so that you can kind of just step on someone and win, that's not love. Now, it doesn't mean there's no authority. Well, Jesus was an authority, and he's granted authority and he expects authority to be exercised properly. So we don't use our authority as a way to be better than somebody, as a way to gain that advantage. Say, I'm greater than you. That's it, and that's that, I win. And Jesus said, no, lose yourself. This was the example that he showed us. Lay that down. When you're in a conflict, when you're in an issue, a trial with someone else, try giving up. Just try losing. Try losing yourself, losing that attitude of having to win. And then do something you can't win at. Do something that's not a competition. Serve. Serve someone. Serve that person that you're kind of button heads with. Serving is not a competition to win. Jesus said, I gave you an example. You should do as I've done for you. Now, what does that mean? I am quite certain today you are not going to come in contact with someone who's wearing sandals whose feet are all dirty and grimy and covered with road slime. It's probably not going to happen. So what's Jesus saying? You know, literally, you got to go you, you, wash someone's feet? That person you haven't been getting along with? Or that person that, you know, you just have had some cross words with? Now, maybe you should do something for them. Maybe you should serve them. Maybe you should go scrape the ice off their windshield. Maybe you should clean up their mess. And, and that could be anything. That could be a literal mess. Maybe it's a mess that they're in financially. They just don't know how to get out of. And that's what's been causing their frustration. And they've taken it out on you and you're giving it back. Maybe they just need help. They need advice. They need you to serve them because you're a little bit smarter in that area and you could offer that advice. 
Maybe you could do some of their chores. Maybe you could serve in a, in a way that would wash away that angst and that, that strife. Perhaps, you know, it's a kid at school has been bugging you. And you're better at math or chemistry or science. Maybe you should tutor that student. Maybe you should think, of, hey, instead of picking on that student, let me help you. Let me show you a better way. Let me teach you a little bit. Let go a long way, see, because that's, that's love. That's the love that Jesus commanded. It's the love that Jesus exemplified. Now, you do something that's normally beneath you, some unpleasant task. He did the task of a slave. In our relationships, church, are we seeing Jesus? Are we seeing the original? Are we focusing on Jesus who loved us? And he loved his own. John's gospel said, to the end. And Jesus saw a way to serve. Forgot about winning. Can we do that? Can we can we serve that way and love that way and forget about winning and lose ourselves? Just serve. See, church, if the world sees that, if they see us, and you know, I'm not standing up here saying, you know, we're terrible at this, or we're presenting a, an awful example. What I'm saying is, I can do better at this. When I read what Jesus did, I know I can do better at it. And if we all can do better at it, it's going to be attractive. It's going to be attractive. When I pray this prayer, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word boldly. Who am I going to say it to? Who am I going to, who am I going to speak boldly to? If they're not attracted to, to a place where love is the foundation and love is supreme. I think that if we do strive to see that original love of Jesus and put it into practice, it's going to open up opportunities for us to speak the world, to speak the word boldly. So my encouragement is let's love like Jesus. Let's just love like Jesus. Make me a vessel to love. Make me an offering to love. Well, let's close praying that prayer this morning. And if you would like to stand, and let's just pray. Pray out of here. Pray that... God would, would bless us with the, the real sincerity to love like Jesus. And you know, if you need help doing that more, and I, I'll say I know I can. I need it. And I've battled that. I battled that winning attitude that we gotta you know, this is, I'm right. Yeah, sometimes it's better just to serve.
As a matter of fact, Jesus showed us it is the better way. You don't have to step out and uh, come down for prayer, but if you want to, you can. We have people who would be more than willing to pray with you, to agree with you in prayer, if that's something you'd like. Otherwise, let's just pray as we go. Because I want to pray with you, and I want to pray not only that the Lord will bless you, but me. I want to do this. I want to be like him. But I can't do it in this flesh. I, I, I need the empowerment, the enablement of the Holy Spirit. You know, Father God, I just pray over all of us here, and I pray for our church and our unity, God, in ourselves. Lord, the example of Jesus who thought nothing to lose himself. He gave up his position and he washed the slimy, dirty feet of the apostles and then he gave up his life. God, thank you for that. And bless, Lord, bless. Bless us, Lord, to see that example clearly. God, help us that we would not look to the world's way of love, but to Jesus' way of love, to serve, to lay aside ego and self. God, help us do that. Help me do that, Lord. Help us to have a place that shines, that shines for Jesus. Here at the corner of Shaner and Metro Parkway, and Lord, at every house represented here in this room, every neighborhood represented. May there be a beacon. Lord, may there be a, a shining light and an example of the command of Jesus to love and love one another. God bless us with that. God bless us with that and attract people to it. Enable us, Lord, and further enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak your word boldly to all who cross our paths. God, I commit it into your hands. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us this morning. Now bless all as they go, God. Bless them, keep them, return us again to worship and praise you as a community. And Father God, I ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.